Are you able to recognize the signs that you're developing a trauma bond? And do you know when you're breaking one? In this episode, Tara and I talk about how intermittent reinforcement can powerfully hook us in a relationship. And the self-help tip is using the power of a check-in to ground yourself in what's real. Thank you for joining us on Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse, where we talk about strategies, tips, and tricks on navigating and recovering from narcissistic abuse. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie McAvoy, a mental health clinician with over 20 years experience and author of Love You More, a graphic inside look at my experience of a toxic relationship. And I'm your other co-host, Tara Blair Ball, a certified relationship coach and abuse survivor and author of Reclaim and Recover, Heal from Toxic Relationships with a seven-step guided journal. I recently got a message from a follower who was asking me about how they know when a trauma bond is starting or how to tell because they have a history that's not been the healthiest for them and they've started dating again and they're dating someone where they're sort of seeing some inconsistencies, some kind of red flags, and they're just uncertain as, is this the start of a trauma bond or do I need to give this person another shot or a second chance? Have you seen this? Do you get messages like, this. Yeah, I do. I get a more of I can't get out of a trauma bond. But I do. I think the hard part for me is I didn't even know a trauma bond was forming because I'd never heard of the word. I know at least we have the language these days, but I still think it's not well known. I think a lot of us fail to recognize the early symptoms of it. I mean, did you know that you had a trauma bond developing when it was starting to happen? I definitely had an awareness that something wasn't quite right. And I think that might be a good indicator of that. And even even, you know, hindsight's 2020. So I can look back and see where did it start in specific relationships that I knew a trauma bond formed. So that might be a place for us to start is like looking back is like, what were the instances that it started or the things that started to sort of make it clear that that's what was about to form? For myself, I remember in several relationships that usually what started was some hostility or criticisms or other signs of controlling behaviors started to become a little bit more obvious. I think they started definitely subtle in the beginning, like sort of criticizing some of my friendships or criticizing what I was wearing or what I was doing. Those were little signs that later became really big issues because it was a sign of wanting control, not being okay with how things were. In another relationship, I remember it was like a switch was flipped. Suddenly, everything I had done before that was perfect, but then I, I wasn't perfect anymore. And I remember trying to grasp at like, what did I do wrong? What do I need to change? Why is my partner always upset with me too? And that was another sign that the trauma bond was forming or had really already formed at that point. Here's the thing that's tricky for me. I think I get into relationships and I over-idealize them all. That that's just sort of the thing that I fall into initially. And now I know that. I know that there is a vulnerability to that. So I'm already primed. I think I walk in primed to be controlled or primed to be managed, exploited, which is really bad, unfortunately. But the early signs that I saw that now I recognize faster if I'm trying to date or get to meet somebody was the way they manage communication my ex made himself unavailable, like he would be available during a certain slight window and then he would be gone again. And it didn't matter what I texted, he wouldn't be available. And then suddenly he would pop up, 
He'd text a few for a few minutes. And I always felt like I was trying to grab him, literally, like I was trying to hold on to those precious minutes. And then he'd be gone again. And I knew he'd be gone again, maybe for another eight hours, 10 hours, maybe a day that he'd be totally unaccessible. So I, I always felt like I, that I was chasing him, just really chasing him. And I even brought it up early. So I at one point said that. And then th- there's where the gaslighting, the first sort of example of gaslighting and a message that came back that threatened the relationship saying, basically, if I didn't comply and let this run this way, then he didn't know why we'd have a relationship. That he was doing his part. That's how he said it. He was doing his part. I need to do my part, which I didn't even know that there were parts to do. But so that that for me was the earliest sign was this intermittent reinforcement that I yep. I kind of recognize because I'm a psychologist and I certainly know about conditioned and conditioned response, but I didn't recognize the power it would have on me and that it was training me and training me what to tolerate and the kind of availability that he was or was not going to have for me and that it was really essentially saying this relationship is totally his, under his control, not mine. But I didn't know the word 2017. Yeah, trauma bond was, I'm sure Patrick Kern had already written the book Betrayal Bonds. I haven't looked at what year he wrote that, but I'm sure it wasn't a first time. We'd already known about the Stockholm Syndrome with Patty Hearst's story of how people can be brainwashed and conditioned to put up with really intolerable situations. But I hadn't really thought about it happening in romantic relationships or any relationships, really. The intermittent reinforcement is... That's the way that I've learned it. And as compared to gambling addictions and slot machines, how like you don't know when you're going to win. So you keep putting your money in, you keep putting your money in. And if you unpredictably win, you're going to chase it. That's how it causes a gambling addiction, really. And for me, it was very similar with relationships. I think another good term to think about it is just breadcrumbing. When you don't know what what's going to make the person come back and give you their attention. And it's very... It can be really exciting. Like there's that euphoria when you suddenly have that attention. And so you keep chasing it. But it re- yeah. it does. It puts you in this this position of not knowing and not being able to predict someone is inconsistent. And so that's a really good sign of the beginning is how consistent is this person? How reliable and dependable? How do you tell in the beginning that you know that they're going to reach back out when they're, you know, when you text? Yeah. Yeah, it can be tricky because on one hand, nobody should be 100% accessible to another person because we have our own lives. Let's be real. I mean, right. we're working. We may be taking care of kids. We've got other relationships that we're managing, friendships, family, whatever. But on the other hand, when you have a sense that you're not this person's priority, when you feel like there's this fear that that you've got to capture their attention, I think that's how it felt to me. I, I literally kept my phone with me all the time and faced up. So even though it was on silent, I could see it. Because I felt like I had to grab that moment. If I missed that moment, then it was gone. And then I wouldn't have any time with him for a long period of time. And the phone calls were even worse. The ability to contact him and have any kind of meaningful connection was very difficult. And yet, see, here's the other piece of the love bombing is that, which is the first stage of a trauma bond is love bombing, is that when we had dates, when we got together, it was over the top. You couldn't ask for a more attentive partner the entire time I was with him. Yet the minute that we were gone and we were long distant dating, then it was as if I went from feasting to famine. It was just painful. But it made me really fear abandonment. I think that's the other thing I, I want to emphasize is that there's so much pressure put on victims for missing this. Somehow it's our fault for 
not being more savvy and protection of ourselves, but they're using our innate neurological wiring, hardwiring against us, our need for belonging against us to habituate this type of behavior. And that to me is evil, you know? I mean, for me to know that you have a vulnerability, that if I just tweak it this way, I'm going to get you to chase me or hunger after me or to stay with me, put up with me, let me exploit you. That's just awful. And it also explains why it's so hard to leave them. That's such an addictive cycle. You crave like that attention back. You feel responsible. You feel like you're to blame. So like, how do we know a trauma bond still happening even after yeah. we've left, after we've gone no contact and all that? Yeah, for me, I just found myself obsessed with them. I just started thinking, what is this person doing? Even though I had no contact, it's like constantly, what is he doing? What's he doing? And then searching for signs. Even I would comb through past text messages or comb through whatever I had. I would comb through for evidence of an attachment to me or information about how he might have felt about me. And then I looked for evidence of what I could find today. Even though I might have blocked on lots of different platforms, I still had my access my limited access that I would like habitually go back and try to see if I could see signs of activity of interest in my direction. So, it's, you know, and you feel bad. For me, I felt guilty, like I was being naughty, that I was doing something I really shouldn't be doing. But yet, here's the other thing I think. So it's an obsessiveness, but it's also irresistible that I found that once I did that, I was drawn to do it again and drawn to do it faster and faster and faster because it's like I might have gone days, weeks, maybe even months with no looking. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I looked and then I want to look again and then I want to look again faster. That to me is like, oh, see, you're giving into this again. How about for you? What's it look like for you? Because I already thought of a great follow up question is and I don't want to forget it. So I'm going to tell you what it is and then we can circle back to it because I know I'll forget. Can a trauma bond ever be permanently forever broken or do we always have this little bit of a hook? I don't know. So I'd love to circle into that. How do you know when you broke yours? I remember specifically where I left a specific relationship where I remember I was talking to a friend about my ex. So like I had found out he was dating somebody new and was like telling my friend and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, why are you still talking about him? Mm -hmm. To me, that was a sign that I really hadn't moved on. I hadn't let go. The trauma bond was still very much present because I, I could not get him out of my thoughts, even though I hadn't seen or spoken to him in a while. Yet this like I had found out he was dating somebody new from somebody else. And I, I just like couldn't let it go. Right. Like I just was constantly bringing it up to literally everybody who would talk to me. I was like, so and so is doing blah, blah, blah. And I remember at the time that my friend was like, don't you have anything better to do with your time? And I, honestly, I did it. <laughs> I had nothing better to do than obsess about this other person because that whole nature abhors a vacuum. When I had gone no contact, I I had just gone no contact. I had not really developed other friendships. I wasn't trying new hobbies. I wasn't doing anything other than just like sitting home and pining over this other person. The trauma bond was like very present and so attractive. It's just there's nothing to me. There was nothing like the beginning of a relationship when there's a trauma bond. Like it's so exciting and dangerous and unsafe and all that kind of stuff. So I guess it was broken when I saw this particular person one day and I just walked on. I didn't decide to stop. I didn't decide to ruminate on it. I just like I just, you know, I saw him. I just kept walking. And for me, that was a lot of power to make that choice that I just didn't I didn't have to go there. I didn't have to try and be polite. 
I just, I could just walk on. I love that. That's powerful. Yeah. And I think, too, is that moment when I saw him and I didn't find him attractive anymore. And I think that was a big change for me, too, is I was like, you know what? He's not that good looking. When before, I would have thought he was just like the handsomest person in the world because I was addicted to him and that relationship and the and the trauma bond that I had with him. Yeah. Yeah. That vacuum you speak of, it makes sense, though, because part of the trauma bond is that they want you to create a vacuum. They they sort of insist on this dependency. So you have shed a lot of things that you were previously doing. I, I remember not being able to watch my television shows because he would consume the television at night or not even getting the amount of sleep that I needed. So the schedule was being run by him. And not talking to my friends and my family because he never allowed me to be out of his presence. So I always had supervision when I was on a phone. So there was no privacy. My world got smaller and smaller. So then when I left him, then I was just left with this big hole. Like you said, there is a big vacuum. And it's easy then to make that person the preoccupation because they put themselves at the center of your life. Then they continue to be the center of your life. And I think that's a big point that I had to say to myself, he doesn't get to center. He doesn't get to be the sun anymore. I'm going to find something else. I'm going to center myself now. What does that look like? Or center what's going on in my life right now? What does that look like? But it, it, it took me mentally having to remove him from that spot to, to get him out of that spot. And it was hard work to do that. And empowering. Like, just like the switch in your language, like I had to move them out. And you talked further about this in episode 64 when, you know, what do we do once we figure out we're in a trauma bond? And it is that sort of that taking that step, you know, back, having to reassess and make some different changes because it is like an addiction. And I think we have to see it like that. And that means we have to remove it. We have to cut it out and we need to figure out what we need to replace it with. I had to learn how to like I don't know. I had a we've talked about this before. I had to go and like figure out hobbies again and relationships again and cultivate new relationships because I too during that relationship had become really isolated and a lot of my friendships had suffered because of it and stop making him the center just like you did. Start making other things the center. That brings me back to the question I said I didn't want us to forget was do you feel like there is ever a time when there is no connection, no hook, no nothing with this person. Do you think that place ever happens, that time ever happens for us? I don't know. Because you admitted that you're a recovering addict. So you also live with what it feels like to have had a real addiction. Not that this is not real. I'm not. It is real. It is real. But you've experienced having to break a chemical addiction. Right. And does that draw still sit out there? Does there part of you like, yeah, I remember what that felt like. Yeah, that, you know, yeah, I also remember what it did to my life and what it did to me. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? That that hook, that that pull. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's still there. It still absolutely can be there sometimes. There's a lot of wine mom content that I see sometimes online. And I'm a mom. I have three young kids. And, you know, it would be nice to have something to sometimes check out when like things are tough or I'm stressful and I see all this content that wine is the way to go like go drink (laughs) wine but I can't do that I can't do that and I always when I have that thought I immediately have to go and think about the consequences and rewind that tape of what happens to me when those consequences happen and I had contact with that particular person I was talking about it was a few years afterward, and it was just an email exchange. I, I owed him an amends for some of the stuff that I did in that relationship. 
which I don't necessarily recommend. I was in a recovery program, so it's not that we need to go and make amends to all of our exes. I was in a recovery program where that was part of it. He did not email me back for a year after I sent this email out. He emailed me back a year later, and he literally a year and almost to the day, he sent me a letter back. Talk about intermittent reinforcement, right? Right. <laughs> and he he thanked me for the message. He made some amends himself or whatever and had told me he had, had recently gotten married and blah, blah, blah. And I just didn't I just didn't respond. The hooks were there. They were lined up where I could have responded. He'd left little crumbs where I could have like, you know, popped back with another question. I could have opened the door for a conversation, but I had to play the tape through. I had to think about those consequences of like, I'm in a relationship. You know, I was in a new relationship. I think I think I was married at that time. I, I didn't need to do that. I, I could play out the consequences. And I think that's a good way to think about it is playing out those consequences. My ex, I don't share this a whole lot. It is in the in the love you more, but I don't talk a lot about it. But my ex left when he left, his excuse was because my son was battling cancer and my ex's dad had died of lung cancer, although he never was a part of that care team. He just knew of it in the distance. He didn't get to have any closure around it, apparently. But he said to me as he was packing and walking out, I can't be here. This is too painful. Several years later, I'm in touch with one of his family members, and this family member gets a hold of me and to let me know that his youngest son died suddenly. And normally my ex not only do I have him blocked, but he blocks me. So I got this early morning contact that this child, this adult child had died, roughly the age of my son, and my then ex unblocked me. And I knew it was an effort. He wanted me to reach out to say sympathy thinking. I, I know two levels of his thinking. One is he probably failed to consider the excuse he gave me to, as leaving as being so offensive that it would enrage me that now you want sympathy from me and you walked out when my son was dying and you want sympathy that your son did die. What? Yeah. Excuse me? But but I think he was more from the angle of I would understand because of facing my son's death that I now would have sympathy for him that his son had truly died. But irregardless of what he was thinking, it didn't matter. I didn't owe him anything. This was a person I didn't know. I never had a relationship with this person. And besides, he and I weren't together anymore. He's a nobody to me. It was, it was just like hearing that a neighbor, you know, maybe somebody at school's mom had a, something go wrong. You Like, yeah, you're aware of it, but it, you don't have any personal connection. That's what I said to me. I don't have any personal connection. I, but, okay, this is sad news, but it's not my sad news. And I don't need to say anything to somebody who's not in my sphere of influence. That's how I kind of knew that I, I didn't get hooked. I just didn't get hooked. Just like you, you were able to walk on by. I, I walked on by. Didn't unblock him. And and a week later, he blocked me again. That he disappeared again. So yeah, and I and I knew that he saw it as an opening, as a window. Here's the other thing that I I noticed that tells me that the trauma bond is broke, is that I forget him. I literally forget that that even that period of time existed. Yeah, I know it existed. I mean, you're like, what? You wrote a book about it. How can you forget that? It, but in my mind, it feels because it was a, it was a three year period in my scope of my 60 plus years. That's not a lot of time, really. I've had a lot of life around all of that. I've had way more significant things that mean much more to me that continue to take up space in my life, in my heart, in my mind. This relationship, yeah, it was devastating, but really in the whole scheme of things, it's a blip. And and he just doesn't exist to me. And I forget that he's in the world. That tells me that he's not anybody really to me. 
But yet there are times that I do still feel the pull. I still wonder, partly because of my own need for closure, partly because of what happened to me was so outrageously awful. I would like to know that he's getting his, you know, but I, I just kind of leave it alone because just like you start to pick at a, like an addiction, then you want it more and then you want it more. And then you, I just know that. Why do I want to go back to that place? I don't want it, it, to lead me where to nowhere. It takes me nowhere. I still have to think about my ex because we share kids together. I realized that that trauma bond was broken when I didn't find myself getting as emotional or upset when I received text messages from him. Regardless of what the text message was, there were some where it would be clear he was trying to get an emotional reaction out of me or that I could have easily overreacted or that kind of stuff. But I just like I, I got to a point where I was okay not responding. I was okay not dealing with that. And before, not responding would have been agonizing. I would have had to go scream and go tell everybody. I'm like, that motherfucker said blah, blah, blah. Like, I just got to a point where I was like, whatever, that's just who he is. He's yeah. never going to change. He's always going to be the same. And I don't have any any power over that and just yeah. move on and not respond. And that, the ap- been- that apathy is a wonderful sign. You're right. It's a great because hatred is actually the opposite of love. And it still means there's an intense attachment to somebody when we feel intense hatred towards them. But apathy is actually the opposite of love. Today's self-help tip is play the tape through. So whatever you're dealing with, whether it's you want to react or respond or look them up or stalk them or have a fight with them or pick a fight with them, try taking a moment to pause and consider what are going to be the consequences of this particular action of mine. So if I look them up, how is that going to make me feel? Is that going to impact my sleep? Is it kind that I choose to do this now? If I go ahead and send that mean response or try to pick a fight with them, How is that going to impact me now in this moment? If you've had a period of no contact and they reach out or you think about them and want to reach out to them, again, playing that tape through and considering the consequences if you decide to do that. How small would you have to make yourself to go back to that relationship and redo what you dealt with in the past? And it might be a way to stop and wake yourself up when you get stuck in that craving, like Carrie talked about, for the trauma bond. This has been my superpower. I think that this piece of advice has saved me so much heartache because I can do it pretty easily and has given me a way to ground myself when I start to get caught up in the idealization or the fantasy or the wish or the lack of closure or whatever that's driving me nuts. You're right. It's really powerful. I love that. Super great tip. When you look back, can you tell when your trauma bond may have started or do you have a sense that it has now broken? You can let us know by emailing us at hello at breakingfreewithcarrytara.com. If you haven't yet, make sure you follow or subscribe, write us a review, and if you know someone who would benefit from this episode, make sure to share it with them. If you're not following us on social media yet, you can check me out at tara.relationshipcoach and Carrie at Carrie McAvoy PhD. And we will see you back here next time. 